There is no growth in comfort and no comfort in growth. Business today typically values and promotes leaders for their subject expertise. Leaders who have command of the details and execute based on knowledge and experience are highly respected. However, to grow as a leader, you have to get out of your comfort zone. That means learning to lead without just being the expert. Learn to gain the trust and respect of a team that might know more than you do. Get comfortable with ambiguity and with not having all the information. Develop the skills and confidence to lead in a different way. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm Wanda Wallace. And today we're going to do something very different that I think you're going to find very exciting. So one of the things about getting out of the comfort zone means that you have to take a risk. You have to go for new opportunities. You have to sell yourself and you have to sell your ideas in a successful way. So we're going to go to the heart of what it takes to sell an idea. So if you've ever thought that you had a great idea, great product idea, that if only people would listen, then, you know, we're going to show you how to evaluate your idea and how to get people to listen. Or if you've never been able to sell your new approach to upper management or key stakeholders of the board, we're going to talk about what makes for a great pitch and how you can win people over. Now, we're going to do this in a rather unusual way. We're going to talk to someone who listens to product pitches for a living. So with me today is Steve Silberger. Steve is Chief Marketing Officer of Top Dog Direct. And Top Dog Direct is one of the most successful marketers of as-seen-on-TV products. Steve started Plymouth Direct in 1997, um, and that has now merged into Top Dog Direct. His previous experience was analyzing data at Nutrition Nutrisystem, Inc., and he was also at National Media. And he sort of along the way developed a skill, a knack, at taking consumer products to market very quickly, um, the infomercials and the, as we know it in the U.S., as seen on TV. And they have produced dozens of TV blockbuster products. Um, the other interesting thing about Steve is he have a lovely book I highly recommend called The 10-Day MBA, which is actually in a fourth edition and is an international bestseller with over 400,000 copies sold. Steve also likes to volunteer at a charity in Philadelphia called Chosen 300, which helps to feed the homeless. So, Steve, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. I am excited about this because I think, one, is a great concept. How do you pitch an idea? Um, I'm also excited to learn about it myself. So just for everybody else, especially for our international audience who doesn't know quite what As Seen on TV is, what do you do and how does this all work? Okay, the As Seen on TV industry is basically a group of uh, maybe a dozen companies in the United States, and they find products that are direct response-friendly, TV-friendly, impulsive items, and we advertise them on television, primarily on one-minute and two-minute spots on TV, and then based off of the excitement and the, the exposure of those items, they're also sold at retail at the large mass retailers across the country. So my mission at Top Dog Direct is to find that next hit product that meets our criteria. And it's not easy. It's, a, it's looking for unicorns. And so uh, we hold many pitch events, and we see products all the time, and products are always coming in. Oh, wow. Fabulous. So... Is this similar to what we see sometimes on a on TV show called Shark Tank? There are products on Shark Tank, and there are several of those that had 
often as seen on TV items. But as you had spoken before, you know, there are services, there are large items, there are small items, uh, but ours are specifically for TV. In that show, the as seen on TV items usually go to Lori Grenier, who's on QVC often. Okay. Okay. All right. So, and I know if I walk into a major retailer like a Walmart or a Walgreens or Duane Reed in the U.S., there will be a whole shelf of products that are called as seen on TV. And there are things that I will have seen infomercials about or ads about on TV, various TV shows. Okay. So, yeah, right when you, uh, at the checkout stand, there's a section usually to the left or the right of the checkout stand. And that's where all the as seen on TV items are. They're probably the fastest turning item in the entire store. Wow. So this is a success. We get one of these and it's going to work. I love it. Oh, it's great. All right. So you listen to um, dozens of ideas. What gets you interested or enthusiastic about taking on that idea? Well, first of all, the demonstration, if it's a live, a live pitch to me, the demonstration of the idea is key because television is a, a visual medium. So if the item has a visual demonstration, they show it a before and after, that gets me super excited. So is this like proof? Like I can, right here in front of your eyes, show you that this thing works. This is how it works. This is how easy it is. Is that what you're looking for, that instantaneous proof? That would be it. So that me, when I'm watching it, as a customer would experience it just like a customer on TV would experience it. And if that's exciting just from a short demonstration, that kind of fits the genre of a short spot, which is only two minutes long. Okay. Okay. So visual. Mm -hmm. I can imagine visual is very powerful for absolutely any kind of pitch, but let's stay with yours for just a moment. Are there other criteria that make for a great idea in your experience? Sure. First of all, because television is a mass medium, the item has to be a mass market item, not a niche item. So, and so the audience, the, re- the general audience would be receptive because then you could run the commercial on many different networks. The second one, it solves a problem that people have. And not just any problem, but a problem that's important to them. Like we've done products for back pain with Be Active. If you have back pain, it's an important problem to you. And then, like I said, it has to be demonstrable. And also it has to work quickly um, the cost of goods for the product have to be uh, to fit our margins, which is usually four to five times markup. It has to be a good value compared to other things out there, and it can't be available at mass retail because that's where the majority of our sales are made. Right. Okay. So let's go to this thing about solves a problem. Um, mm-hmm. That sounds like an interesting idea. So just explore that for a little bit. What do you mean? How do you know if it solves a problem? How do I know if I am addressing a problem in any pitch I might make? Like, for instance, you would do your research, which is really key for people creating products. By doing simple Google research or going to Amazon or what have you, so many people work on products that have already been invented. So number one, research. But like, for instance, one of our products that were super successful is called Tagaway. It, it's for people that have skin tags. 
not a subject that I knew about, but then after research, I found out a large number of people have this problem, a third of adults. And wow. once I found that out, I said, this is a large problem, and then this, prob- this product solved it. So then I was super interested in it. Okay. And mm-hmm. is there a good, I mean, is there any magic in terms of how I um, identify the problem or show the problem or think about the nature of the problem that makes it more exciting and more effective? Well, if it's a, a mass product and a mass problem, an important problem, it should be pretty self-evident. Um, some, some of our greatest products, like the Beactive Brace, it was a, um, a physical therapist came in. He said, I have this product that I've developed, that I've developed from my practice for people that have sciatica. It goes on the calf muscle. It goes on like this, and it, it helps with sciatica back pain. The next thing he did was he attached it to my colleague who had sciatic back pain, and she felt much better. You couldn't have much of a better pitch. One, it worked quickly. Two, it's a mass product. Three, it looked like the costs were right. It's an important problem. It hit all our criteria. And within two months, we did a commercial, and it was super successful on television. Okay. So I get excited you... just thinking about that day. It was amazing. It's, it's like hunting for unicorns, and you see so many that aren't right, but the ones that do can be super successful. I can see that. Do you often see people come in? I want to stay on this problem because I think there's a lot of magic in understanding what problem I'm actually solving. And the reason I'm staying that is it may be transparent in something like Tagaway. But when I look inside corporations and people are presenting a different way of doing an analysis or an alternative approach to a consumer market or some variation that's not as tangible as they as seen on TV, I think people don't often focus on the problem they're solving? Well, the one thing about television has to be dramatic. So if it's a problem solved that's just a little, making something a little bit better, that's really not a TV item. It has to be a dramatic, a, a dramatic uh, breakthrough, something amazing, because that's going to grab people's attention. If it's just a, a minor improvement, and we see a lot of products sent to us that have a minor innovation, but nothing major, those are ones we can't take on. It has to be eye-catching. Okay. All right. So I'm getting really clearly that visual. It's instantaneous. I can see it. I can show it. It's very clear where it works. It's very clear how it works. And as you said, you put it on a colleague sitting next to you and instantaneously there's a relief. That's the kind of thing that works for this. Tell me about what the worst pitches do. Are there bad ones? Oh, my gosh. The worst pitches are pitches where we have to act like the bad guy because they hadn't done their research. They haven't gone to the Internet. And we are the ones to break the bad news that the project they've been working on for so long has already been invented. And you can just see their face you know, kind of melt down when they hear this bad news because they were also hyped to pitch us. They probably went out of their way to travel and everything. And then in a split moment, we're telling them, I'm so sorry, you, you've invented something that's already around. And it's happened more times than I can possibly tell you. Um, there's often some companies that take advantage of new inventors 
and they encourage them to pursue their dreams. But often they they say yes to everything, and we're not in the business of saying yes. Uh, we don't charge inventors for doing what we do. We're in it to you know sell a lot of product and provide royalties to the inventor. So we're all on the same team, and some people are led down a bad path. So number one thing for an inventor to do is research. All right. And how about, so you've said that it needs to be visual. Are there any magics in the words that people use or in the presentation themselves? Or is there anything else that kind of helps round out this package of visual? Well, if there is a before and after, uh, if something was cleaned, you know, a dirty stain and showing it getting cleaned would be great. Um, like in Tagway, people had skin tags and then they were gone. Um, that type of thing. Uh, we sold a product called Night View Glasses, and the moment you put them on, you see differently. It provides aid in night vision. Or the Fazuki Reflexology Mat, you step on this and you feel better. So the whole idea is that it, it's quick and, you know, and it provides a good benefit. Okay. So, and because the commercials are short, it doesn't need to be very sophisticated because it's going to have to be conveyed in a short period of time. If it involves a long explanation, that is a cue that maybe this is not good for television. It might be good okay. for other venues, but not for television. Okay. All right, Steve. So let me turn the tables on you a tad bit. It strikes okay. me that what we're talking about, I realize your specialty is as made for TV, but some sure. of the ideas that you're talking about are just as applicable to any other pitch that you want to take. Let's take this notion of visual. Um, and it's not so much that it, well, visual, but also that there is a before and after. We used to think about this this way, and now we need to think about it this way. We used to draw these kind of charts. Now we need to draw these kind of charts. It seems okay. that it's the same ideas to me. I'll give you an example. I was um, talking with one of my colleagues today, Liam Fahey, about the notion of insight, which is this general sense that you want to look at data and future opportunities and evaluate marketplaces. And in order to understand something that could be an opportunity, sort of future looking, and that that's an insight. It's not just a bunch of data, it's an insight about something that hasn't happened or could happen or whatever. And you know, the, even in that one, being able to say, we used to look at, we used to think this way about our consumer, and now we need to think about this way about our consumer. That before and after strikes me as an incredibly powerful way to think about a bitch pitch. What changes as a result of your idea? Um, are you are you asking me how we yes. change? We, you know, obviously when we get a new product, we test it. You know, many different people, and as many people do, you get insights by people using the product in ways that you wouldn't have thought about, and that type of transformation is key to us. And by gathering testimonials and sometimes filming the testimonials, you're, you're gaining product or gaining footage for the commercial itself. But one thing that I've always learned, especially in my business, is never to 
reject anything out of hand because it may be something that hadn't been done before. Maybe it's a, a market that is a mass market that hadn't been tapped. And so I wouldn't reject anything just because it is new. Okay. Sounds like you have a unique approach. Some of our executives could take a little bit more line in that one. <laughs> right. So fascinating. Um, so I just want to – let me come back to this one. I want to repeat for everybody the sort of five keys, if I've gotten this straight, for it to be effective in your market. Number one is um, it's got to be appealing to a lot of people. It can't be a niche item or a small market. Strikes me that that works in any idea in general. It has to be big enough to be worthwhile. Um, two, it has to solve a problem and a problem that's important to people. Okay, strikes me is also something that should be relevant. Number three, you have to be able to show it, a before and after, a visual, a demonstration, an instantaneous relief, something that makes it visual. Number four, it needs to work quickly. And number five, it needs to be cost effective in your market. And as well as I add, it has to be a good value for okay, good what value. else is out there that, that solves. You know, so there might be other things out there to solve this problem. But this new product is a good value to do that. And also, it's not available at mass retail yet. Okay. Not available uh, at mass retail. Okay, fabulous. At any cool. rate, all of those seem to strike me as incredibly relevant to mm -hmm. pitching anywhere on any occasion in any way you want to do it. Um, one of the reasons that I spent so much time talking about the problem for general ideas is I was in a group recently and we were talking about business plans. And in the business plan, the question comes to each of the individuals, what's the problem that you're solving? Now, these are people who are doing service industries, and it was surprising how difficult it was to get people to answer the question of what problem are you solving? Now, I know in a product... It should be straightforward, but sometimes we just don't think about it that way. We think about, this is cool, it does this. Great, what's the problem you're solving? And I think that's just a core element for what makes for a good pitch. It also makes it grabby, really instantaneously grabby. Yeah, it's like, for instance, if you're selling a new business to people to get investors, there's that elevator pitch where you condense it down to one or two sentences and that's key to getting your message out to a mass audience. And if it's too complicated, even in sophisticated settings, you, know, you lose people. You know, their attention is divided. So getting that down, even, you know, we've talked about me being an author, getting a book sold has to involve an elevator pitch to people who are in the publishing industry. If you're in a company, you may have an idea so you have to boil it down quickly so that if you're in a board meeting, everybody understands from the get-go what you're talking about. So I think right. that's great. I think that would work. Well, we always talk about an elevator pitch, but if you put it on the framework of you've got one to two minutes on a TV commercial to grab people's attention and get them to want to go and find the product – not just mm -hmm. say, oh, that's cool. Actually go out and buy it and find it. That's the right elevator pitch, it seems to me, that that's, you know, that's what we're looking for here. And, and as far as the, the things that a, a, a direct response commercial does, it has, to, it has to lift a heavy burden because you go from 
a commercial where nobody knows what it is to actually making an action, calling in or going to a website, which is given at the end of the commercial. So it goes awareness, interest, desire, and action. Some commercials just make you interested in an item, but here in a direct response commercial, we know if the commercial is successful immediately because people are calling in or going to a website. So that whole idea of getting your your idea across is is key. And there is kind of a formula that our commercials use. We don't follow it, you know, always, but it, it's a framework if you're interested. Sure, yeah. Out, sure, it starts out, what's the problem? Here's a problem. Second, solution. Uh, third is the secret is, meaning how how does it do this? What, how does it solve the problem? Then de- demonstra- demonstration, then maybe a testimonial, maybe another demonstration, and then you show the offer and give them a, a means to contact you with the 800 number, the website, or what have you. And so it, it's, a, it's pretty straightforward because humans have to be interested. Imagine you're watching a TV, watching a program, and we interrupt your program with a commercial. And you're not in the mood to buy, but here this commercial comes out, and it taps something inside your mind about this problem that you have that's important to you with this product that is going to solve this problem at a great value with a compelling testimonial, a compelling demonstration that you're going to make a call and give your credit card to a company you don't know anything about because you're excited about buying and solving your problem. I, I realize that we are talking about TV commercials, but I'm not sure you could write a better script for how to give a good pitch or talk inside a company on any topic that you wanted to do. So you said there's a problem and that problem needs to be clearly stated and it needs to be something that the audience cares about and it's important to them, which is number one, if I want to get any stakeholders involved at all. Number two, I need a solution. I don't want to just hear about the problem. I want to know what we do about it. Now we need to poke. You tell me what's the secret? How do you solve it? Okay, this is where I want a little detail. I want to know that you've done your homework. You know what you're doing. Okay, show me a demonstration. How does this really work? Show me a graph. Show me a chart. Show me data. Give me a testimonial. Where have you tested this? What have people said about it? And then what do you want me to do? That we often leave out the what do you want me to do? And you do that so graphically with here's the offer call. We're excited to do something about it. I think it's a brilliant strategy for communication in general. It's all about sales. Uh, It's a sales (laughs) process, and it's the way that the mind works. So I think it's transferable to many different things. And even when we talk about the 10-day MBA, although it's not a commercial, there are two to 300,000 MBA MBA wannabes every year that are applying to go to business school. They're curious, what do they teach at the top 10 business schools? Other people just want that knowledge. And in 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 the case of the book, chapter by chapter, subject by subject, they're summarized in a clear manner. So basically, it's a spark notes in, you know, in a book for an MBA and give it a 10-day MBA, which makes it a little more sexy, and it's a good name. We're a base 10 society. 
uh, it has found a market for the last 25 years, year in and year out. So it started out with a great idea, with a problem, solving a problem, and the same way as a TV item. And the same process that I had to pitch uh, to get an agent and then the agent to the publisher uh, is the same thing that I have to do with DR TV products. Right. This um, I've been working on a book and I've done the exact same thing. So you really do have to say, I mean, they have just drilled this into me. Who's the market? Who's going to buy this? What's the problem they're solving? What do they need? How are you helping them? And it is absolutely true. And if you look at some of the best communication specialists that teach you to go and make any kind of presentation, whether it's to a large audience for an hour or whether it's to your board for five minutes, or whether it's to your boss about something else, it's the same thing. What's the problem I'm here to solve? What's the solution I have to offer? How does this actually work? Let me show it to you. Let me show you somebody who's actually done it, and here's what I want you to do. It's the same formula. Um, so the, I think in the pub, I'm sorry, in the public industry, you have a query letter that you when you're trying to pitch your book, and that query letter has to be maximum one page because of a short attention span. And there's always three paragraphs. The first paragraph is the hook. So basically your problem, your subject matter. The second is what the product is to solve that problem. And the third one is a paragraph about yourself. Why are you qualified to write this and promote your book? And it's very quick, very very instantaneous, the same type of thing that goes on television. You have basically a couple of minutes of somebody's time and you want to use it effectively. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I think it's really, I think it's so interesting to think about this as a TV commercial and as a concrete product that would appeal to lots and lots of people. And at the same time, be something that was in the same process we use in all sorts of different places. I think that's great. So I want to repeat for everybody, for anybody who's interested in making a pitch to you, here are the criteria that make for a great as seen on TV. And obviously lots of parallels to any idea. One, it needs to be a mass media appeal and it's not a niche item. So lots of people. Number two, it needs to solve a problem that is important to people that they care about and want a solution for. Number three, I need to be able to show it. There needs to be a visual, a before and an after. Number four, it needs to work quickly. I can't take all day. It can't be three hours. It's got to be quick. Um, also for short attention spans. Number five, it has to be cost effective. Number six, it needs to be good value. Number seven, not available on the mass market. And number eight, not too complicated. I love it. So in the last minute on this segment, we're going to come back and talk about some other stuff. Steve, if someone wanted to get in touch with you because they had a great idea, how do they find you? Very easily, uh, topdogdirect.com. Uh, there's a, there's a, um, a button at the upper right-hand corner of the website, and we take pitches all day long. So you would contact me, and our staff is you know, committed to getting back to everybody within the week. That's one thing that we pride ourselves on, and just topdogdirect.com. Fabulous. I hope somebody listening has a great idea that they're going to get in touch with you about. I will also echo, make sure you've done your homework before you get there because that's going to be an important element of it as well. Okay, we're going to take a break. 
With me today is Steve Silberger, who's the Chief Marketing Officer at Top Dog Direct. Steve is a specialist, as you've heard, in bringing products to market very quickly. His specialty has been as seen on TV, but as you've heard, we've talked about what makes for a great pitch, what makes for a bad pitch, what the elements are, and I think those are incredibly applicable to absolutely any communication you're trying to do. When we come back, I want to talk about Steve's book, The 10-Day MBA, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. I'm with Steve Silbiger, Chief Marketing Officer of Top Dog Direct. And as I've said, Steve is a specialist in bringing consumer products to market very quickly. So we have been talking about what makes for a great pitch, particularly in the consumer market space, and what makes for successful products in Steve's world on the SCNS TV. Or on any, I think it's applicable to absolutely any pitch. Um, so Steve, you're going to give a couple of concrete examples so we sort of understand how this goes. So give me a good example. Okay. Uh, one of our very first products is called Urine Gone. Uh, the product is a type of product that you spray on pet nesses. Uh, obviously, the name says what it does. That's also also an important item. Uh, you would have a, 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 a mess. You would spray the mess. The, uh, the mess with the, uh, the enzymes in the product when you spray it, uh, eliminate it quickly. There's a black light that's included so that you can see the, the mess go from 
illuminated to not, and you have an immediate demonstration. And we've been selling it for the last 15 years. Uh, like I said, be active. You immediately put that product on, and you feel relief from sciatic back pain. Uh, I said, like the Night View Vision, Mighty Putty was a, a product of ours where you have things that are broken and you're able to fix them quickly. Fazuki is for tired legs. I mean, we have a lot of different products. And when you use them, it works just like it works in the commercial. And that's important. Great. Now, are there products that have come to you that just didn't work the way you thought they were going to work? Hmm. That's a good question. Well, we never do a commercial for something that doesn't work. But a lot of times we do a lot of development. Like we're, we've worked on products that have been in the hardware area. And a lot of them, you know, the prototypes just didn't work out. They were a good idea on paper. And mm-hmm. we invested in some uh, manufacturing to create the prototypes. But then it, it, they just didn't hold up. There was, there was some flaw in it. But that's, that's part of the process. That's always okay. part of the process. Yeah, a lot of everything works out. Do you ever have um, commercials that just don't generate? Everything is working, the product is working, but the commercial just doesn't hit the nail on the head? Oh, my gosh. If we're doing everything right in this, um, we think we have about a 50-50 chance of, of having it work on television. So the success rate in, I would say, our industry is maybe one for 10 might be successful. Uh, we're probably one for five uh, in our industry. So even when you think you have everything done, you'll be able to test it on on the television and buy ads and run it on national TV, and you'll know pretty immediately if it if it hits or not. And so even if you think you have everything, you know you are humbled immediately that first weekend when you try the commercial on television. So right. yeah, you never are for sure of anything. And, that's and when you look at, and it must be part of your business, if you one for five means that we got four out of five that are failing, have you analyzed the four or five that are failing? Is there any themes for what doesn't work? Uh, usually is the market is smaller than we thought. Okay. Or two, uh, it, we couldn't convey the message effectively um, because maybe the demonstration was not as visual as we had thought. You know, okay. something that might be visual when somebody pitches it to you and you're excited and you're seeing it up close versus mm-hmm. on film is different. So you move on. You know, okay. you, you try to do your best, and if it doesn't work out, you move on to the next. Okay. Okay. We involve our. One thing that's always great about what we do is we always involve the inventor with the whole process. So the inventor is involved with the scripting, the naming, what goes into the commercial, because we don't want to miss anything key so that if we do have a failure, they know we tried 110% to make it, uh, you know, to make it a winner. And if it doesn't work, it's just the customers just don't want it. And right. that, then you can feel good about that. And when it is a winner, it's a beautiful thing. And it <laughs> sells on television, and it goes to the mass retail, and it sells much better there. 
Yeah. I love that you get instantaneous feedback. Like you can know over a weekend if it's worked. How many times has that happened in life? So let's turn the tables for a minute. And I want to talk about your book, The 10-Day MBA. And I have to say, you know, you listen to that and you think, oh, that's a kind of cute title. I started reading the thing. It's quite impressive. So why did you write that book? Well, when I graduated back in way 1990, uh, I was fresh out of business school and I was working for a company that did not have MBAs there. And some of the things that I brought from school, some of the, anal- the uh, ways to analyze uh, data and what have you, they were looking at like, this is amazing. And I was teaching it to some of my colleagues. And then I had all my binders of notes from my business school. And I, you know, if I would just be able to summarize these notes, I could be able to share that information with a much larger audience. And then I did find there was another book on the market, but it was written by academics and it was boring. And so I said, you know, let's make it like Cliff Notes or Spark Notes. So it's super accessible to people who are impatient and like things really concisely described. And that's what I did. I went about to summarize those notes. I had 23, 23 binders of them, and then I summarized them in one book. Wow, you must have taken incredible notes in school. I'm impressed with that. It's very good. I should, shall we say that you were also a graduate of um, the University of Virginia at Darden School, which is a fabulous school as well. What a clever idea. I actually know the person who wrote one of the competitor books, um, delightful human being, but it takes a lot longer to get through that book than it does through yours. And yours, I can see, you'll read a chapter a day and you sort of got a concept and you go back to it, you can reference it, you can see it there as well. Um, have you done anything to, it's in multiple languages, I think, am I right? It's in around a dozen languages. Um and it's coming out like in an audiobook of all things. So, especially in Asia, they especially like this, they crave this knowledge. And in Europe, it's in Spanish, it's in a, a bunch of languages. So, it's really heartwarming to know that you can create something and it can go global. Right. I love it that you did this 25 years ago, and I should also say it's in its fourth edition. Um, it's not 25-year-old information, just for the record, for people that are in there. Oh, definitely. So what I do is I continue to, you know, gather new information, new techniques, new things, you know, history, and then I uh, team up with a, a new graduate from my business school. And I review the information in there. Is there anything that I've missed? There's something there that's missing. And then we re- we've revised it four different times. Okay. That sounds like incredible. Amazing process. And there we are back to the teams and other people being part of it. Did you learn anything in particular in writing this book? Well, what it does is it tries to crystallize your, your knowledge. And, you know, when you're explaining to somebody, you're kind of learning at the same time because you're re-reviewing the things that you had learned, just like you repeated the uh, the seven or eight different cr- criteria. So just by going back, it makes things fresh. So I'm always in the thick of it. So I'm always in the process of a revision. So it keeps me current. <laughs> I love that. Keeps current. That's great. Um, 
So, and for listeners, again, it's called the 10-Day MBA, available in multiple languages. And again, I highly recommend it. I think it's very cleverly done. The best way to describe it is sort of a Cliff's Notes from an MBA program. So the highlights. And Steve, you had also said that people sometimes read this when they're going for business school interviews and they want to sound knowledgeable, as well as when they're not going to go to a business school and they just want the Cliff's Notes summary on different techniques and methodologies. It's exactly like when you, you know, top business schools, they interview everybody and you're having a conversation about business topics. And I would say over half of the class is going, are going to come from a discipline that's not business. They may be a geologist. They may be a physician. So they don't have business knowledge. So just to become conversant in what they're about to study, it really helps a lot. And then some people want to have MBA knowledge and just don't have the time or, you know, the time or the money to, to take a two-year sabbatical out. And a lot of that information is in the book. There's actually a couple universities that have used the book as the basis for a mini MBA course. And so they supplement it with in-class learning and what have you. So the book could also spur you to find out more about topics that you don't know. Indeed. Um, I think there's a lot of interest in... Go ahead. And I was just saying, like, each chapter is a different subject. So marketing, accounting, finance, economics, and each one is explained. You know, it goes through all the course material in summary of what they teach you, and then it gives you the key takeaways. So the whole idea is not to give you the full two years of knowledge. It's to make you really familiar with it. And in the book... If it's a topic that can be covered in a paragraph, I cover it in a paragraph. If it takes several pages, I'll take several pages. And so the whole idea is to give you some real substantive substantive information that you can take away. And that's why it's been so successful. I've not advertised the book. It, it's, it is sold by word of mouth, and it sells every year. So it's been a beautiful thing. Sounds great. I have to go back to your original company. So you're fresh out of the MBA program. You have these Mm -hmm. 23 binders of all the course material. You don't have other MBAs in the business that you've joined. Did it successfully teach your colleagues the skills they needed? Oh, absolutely. Like some of the first things I taught, if you remember Excel spreadsheets, there are certain functions in those spreadsheets to create it in a dynamic fashion. So it's not just one scenario. And so you can vary the different key variables. When I showed that to some people, and especially the executives, they were wedded on that because before they were only given analysis of a scenario. And here I said, here's a way that you can look at it and we can find out what would happen if this, if this scenario, if this variable was changed. And obviously, I taught that to the rest of the crew, and it just became standard operating procedure. Right. That's excellent. It's a great way to do analysis. You would think that everybody would know that by today, but I have to tell you, absolutely, they don't. Um, So, Steve, I'm a little bit interested in your personal story. So how did you come to do this work? I mean, you did an MBA, but, you know, what got you started on this, this sort of finding consumer product markets? Well, my first job out of uh, out of business school was working for Nutrisystem. It sold diet programs uh, to uh, primarily women 
uh, on television commercials. So what would happen is people would call the number and then they would uh, have an appointment and it would be a lead generator. Uh, but in that in that scenario, I learned a lot about media. I learned uh, how to analyze it. I learned that type of that side of the business. A group of executives from that company moved to national media, and that was a large infomercial company. And because of my MBA training and my, I know I just like doing research. The part of the business I got into was the new product side, analyzing what products work and what products don't, and analyzing the new products that came in. And from there, uh, I started my own company in 1997, and at that point, I had the knowledge of media, had the knowledge of new products and making them, and did it on my own. And fortunately, my first product, which was called Tan Perfect, was successful. Okay. Boy, that's great. So 1997, so you've been at this for a long time. Yeah, and the best thing about it is that product called Tan Perfect was a product that was rejected at national media. They didn't think it was a good product. So when that turned out to be a major success, that was not only financially, but very personally rewarding. Okay. All right. So I have to ask you a very personal question. You were a yeah. person who likes to do analysis. You started mm-hmm. your career as doing lots of analysis on commercials. Did that generate leads? How did that follow through? What was success? What are the numbers? What are the metrics? But to start your own business, you have to get out of doing the analysis and into some bigger picture things. How did you make that transition? Well, because of my family background, we were in a small business in the gold, buying and selling of gold and silver. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had been part of an entrepreneurial business where you're forced to do everything. Um, so when I started, you know, my company at Top Dog Direct, uh, I had no problem doing the grunt work that needs to be done. So if there has to be sourcing of something, if there needs to be copies made, if you need to open a bank account or what have you, uh, you know, I wasn't above doing that because my prior experience was doing as well as analysis. And so I combined the two. Okay. And how about, you know, sort of, go ahead. And I was also saying even within a company, you can be entrepreneurial and, those type of traits of just pushing the ball ahead yourself is what I've done with my current business. Pushing the ball ahead yourself. I love that. Do you mean and explain what you mean by that? Meaning when you're in your own business, there's nobody else that quarterbacks okay. the ball to push it forward. Uh, if you choose not to go to work that day, nothing's going to happen. So it's up to you to find that next product and to make that next commercial and to source it and to advertise and what have you. So, you know, you use a large team of people, but ultimately it's up to you to move it ahead. Okay. All right. So I get what you mean that you're doing it. You're moving it step by step by step and it's down to you. It's kind of a lot of joy in that one. Now, you're a part of a larger organization now. How do you make the transition from doing it all yourself to being able to delegate and trust other people? Well, you try to surround yourself with the best of the best. So, for instance, uh, 
Bill McAllister has been an expert in the field of taking products to retail, as well as a product specialist for 30 years. So he works with me. Uh, Jackie also is our new product director. She has a lot of experience in that area. Our producer who makes our commercials at Hutt and Miller have made some of the most successful TV commercials in the direct response space ever. So, and the people who buy the media are experts at Dyre Media and Lockhart and Wexler. So it's surrounding you with people that you fully trust in being the expert in their fields. So I can't tell you exactly how the media is bought, you know, piece by piece, but I trust that they do. I can't tell you how to hold the camera and which lens to use, but they know how to do that. And so you just have to work as a team and have a team that you really trust. Okay. So in essence, a team of experts where you let each of the experts be their own specialist in their own way, and your job is pulling it all together for a final product at the end that's going to be successful. And that's it. And and in sending everybody in the team to make sure that they do their best. And that's the way, especially in direct response, it, it works. People work off of royalties. They work off commissions and what have you. So the most more successful the item is or the product is, uh, the more successful monetarily and, you know, psychically, everybody is rewarded. Yeah, I can see that when everybody's got a piece of the success, then we're all committed to do the right things and join up the dots and not get stuck on territory or turf wars or something. Yeah, and some of the things that you had inquired about as far as how how do you look or how do you present, usually in our business, there's very little politics because at the end of the day, you do get a result. And the result uh, is what drives the whole business. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. It also begs the question of how do we get more results, instantaneous results in the businesses that we're running. Okay. Mm -hmm. Fabulous. All right. If you had words of advice for anybody starting their own business, pitching an idea within a company, um, just being successful in their career, what, what's your keywords of advice? Keywords of advice. It doesn't um, have to be a few words. Well, I would say, you know, it, ultimately it's your, your results that count, but including the team in those results is key because no, no person can do it themselves. Yeah. And I love the fact that you said uh, when you're testing products that you're going to go out and test it with multiple different people. You're going to have people try it. You're going to have different examples. You're going to get testimonials. And you sort of find out in that process just how well it works in the first place, which is also really effective. It's another aspect of the team. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the whole idea as taking something from from nothing to something huge that everybody's talking about is really rewarding. And especially with our inventors, they sometimes have an idea like on a napkin or something they scribbled, but it's the idea that carries the day. And so I can guarantee you at Top Talk Direct that 
if there's something that one of your listeners brings to me that will give it really due consideration and we'll get right back to them. That's fabulous. People really come in with ideas on napkins. That's not just a, you know, a, a, a movie script. Oh my gosh. Uh, you can only imagine we were at a pitch in Boston and this guy came in and he was a uh, maintenance worker and he had an idea for a different kind of mop and it was sketched out on a napkin. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. That makes me think of the movies, um, particularly the movie Joy on this one. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. Fabulous. It's incredible to figure out how it all works behind the scenes. So I just want to repeat what I've said a couple of times because I think it's really worth bearing. There are two themes here that strike me as very powerful. One of these are the seven points of what it takes to make an effective pitch. I had to reach for my notes there so I could make sure I could read them all carefully. Number one, it has to appeal to a lot of people, not just a few people. Number two, it needs to solve a specific problem that's important to those people. Number three, I need to be able to demonstrate it, to show it visually, a before and after. Think about it that way. Four, it needs to work quickly. Five, it needs to be cost effective. Six, it needs to be good value. And Seven, it has to be not available already. And then finally, it can't be too complicated. And then as you come to pitch those ideas, you want to be thinking about what's the problem I'm solving? How is it that I'm solving it? How does that work? Let me get a demonstration and a testimonial in it and repeat that. And then there has to be an action, a call to order. And that is, I think, a fabulous formula for taking any idea to any market anywhere. So, um, Steve, just one last time, give us how people should be in touch with you if they're interested in pitching an idea to you. Sure. Uh, I'm Steve Silbiger. Uh, my company is called Top Dog Direct. We're in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, we have a website at topdogdirect.com. Uh, you can go there and find out all about us. And on the main page, there's a way to submit product, and we'll get right back to you. Fabulous, Steve. All right. Thanks for being a part of the show, Steve. It was great. I love the ideas. I should also say that Steve's book, again, is the 10-Day MBA. And as you've heard, this is just the summary of two years of training from a fabulous MBA program, distilling it down to what's the essence of the idea, what's the core of what this technique is about. It's in multiple languages, and it's been in its fourth edition. So, Steve, thank you. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. And then next week, we're going to be talking with Tim Kelly. And Tim is going to talk about purpose again. But the important part about Tim is it's not just about purpose. It's about how purpose actually really, truly drives a collaborative culture. So if you're interested in collaboration or teams participating in the way we've been talking with Steve about it, tune in to hear more from Tim. And that's it for this week. Thank you for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.